Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. It's the first day of April, which means it's the first day of anniversary month at Watchmen on the Wall. We are so excited to be celebrating 89 years of God's faithfulness. The entire month of April, we have special programs planned with classic resources being brought back and some special surprises you don't want to miss. Today, we have ministry president, Dr. Kenneth Hill, host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and staff evangelist, James Collins, all together to help us kick off Anniversary Month. This month is Anniversary Month here on The Watchman on the Wall. Southwest Radio Church began in April 1933 when Dr. E.F. Weber, pastor of a local church in Oklahoma City, preached a prophetic message over local radio station KTOK. His radio program was his radio church. That's how we got the name Southwest Radio Church. Now, 89 years later, here we are, still going strong, making the Watchman on the Wall the oldest continuing daily Christian communications ministry in the world. This month, we're taking some time to honor our ministry elders, our heroes of the faith, and joining me to share some memories are two of my personal heroes of the faith. First here in the studio with me is Dr. Larry Spargimino, the host of this program and vice president of Southwest Radio Ministries. Dr. Spargimino, thanks so much for taking some time to visit with us today. Great to be with you and Dr. Kenneth Hill. Also joining us by telephone today is Dr. Kenneth Hill, the president of Southwest Radio Ministries. Dr. Hill, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Well, this month marks the 89th anniversary of The Watchman on the Wall program from Southwest Radio Church. Let me ask you, first of all, Dr. Hill, even though other ministries have come and gone, why do you think we've lasted 89 years? Well, we've had the basis of Scripture. We have been in the Word, and being in the Word is always the best place to be. And in these 89 years, the Word has been presented, and it has been the full counsel and the whole counsel of God. It's not just the prophetic, although the prophetic is certainly large and looms large, but it's all of the counsel of God, and it's been presented in so many ways. I think we're meeting a real need. I don't mean that we're scratching people where they itch, but I think there is a hunger to know the truth. People are so frustrated with man. You know, I've often said that war, like we see today, is organized insanity. And if you look at the history of the world, there's one war after another. They get worse and worse. The weapons become bigger and bigger. We can kill more people, do more damage to the environment. And people are saying, what's going on? Is this all there is? And I think we've been giving some good answers and driving people to the Word of God. Well, as both of you know, I love the history of this ministry, so I'm excited about some of the programming that we have scheduled this coming month to honor our ministry elders. At the first of this month, we have a program from 1994 with Noah Hutchings and you, Dr. Hill. The topic is, Why So Many Churches? Tell me about working with Noah Hutchings. Well, that's a great topic, and it's a wonderful book that he wrote. Working with Noah was unlike any other folk that I'd been working with in ministry. It was not Noah's way to make every jot and tittle seen 
beforehand. We would go into the studio, and I wouldn't even know what the topic was most <laughs> of the time. And all of a sudden, here comes the topic, and here comes Noah, and he's coming after me, you know. <laughs> and we had a wonderful time enjoying each other's company and enjoying the understanding of God's Word together. It was wonderful. Dr. Spartamino, what stands out in your mind when you hear the name Noah Hutchings? Well, when I hear the name Noah Hutchings, I think of an adventure, because just like uh, (laughs) Dr. Hill said, we didn't know exactly what we would do. But it's interesting. I think we had the blessings of the Lord because it always worked out very well. And it was not my planning, not my sagacity, but the Lord who was putting us together, we just jived, so to speak, like gears fitting together, and it was wonderful. Well, we're very excited to have Why So Many Churches by Noah Hutchings back in print after all this time. Speaking of books being back in print, we're also thrilled to bring back Pagan Traditions by David Ingram. Dr. Spargimino, you were good friends with David Ingram. Tell me about him. David Ingram was a very unusual person because he was thoroughly schooled in the Word of God, knew a lot of prophecy, but... He was the kind of person, he could preach a message. In fact, I remember when he came to our church, the Riverbend Baptist Church out in Hickory Tree, Tennessee, he had a really great prophetic message, but before the message, he sang and he played guitar, and that really loosened people up. It was a Wednesday evening, and people were wide awake. They wanted to know what this gentleman, he was a gentleman with his round voice and his big smile. And I think he was a real plus to the kingdom of God. And now I know he's in a much better place. We certainly miss David Ingram, no doubt about it. Dr. Hill, how about you? Would you share some memories about David Ingram? Well, David Ingram was a dear friend, and he was a gentleman of the First Order, as Brother Larry's already said. He was a fine Bible teacher, a good singer, and one of the best entertainers that you could find. He had worked for years in Maine Public Radio as an entertainer, and that was before his call to the ministry. And so he used that talent in his ministerial gifts, and it was a wonderful thing. And we got to know him. He worked for us at Southwest Radio Church. He worked for the ministry, and then after that, he worked for us in our Christian radio stations in the southeast that was a wonderful time working with him even after his time with southwest in addition to resources by noah hutchings and david ingram this month we will also feature classic works and brand new materials by ken ham rob linstead mike hoggard billy crone dr kenneth hill and something i'm very excited about a brand new book by david weber titled heaven and hell Recently, I came across some recordings, some teachings of Dr. Weber, teaching about heaven and hell and angels, and Beacon Street Press was able to take some of those recordings along with some of Dr. Weber's notes and put them in a brand new book titled Heaven and Hell. Well, gentlemen, if you'll allow me the honor, I'll close out this segment by saying God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. One of the really neat things about being part of a ministry that has been around for 89 years is the history. The history of so many faithful servants of God that came before us proclaiming the good news that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. One of those faithful servants was our former host and ministry president, Noah Hutchings. 
In addition to hosting this program for many years, Noah authored dozens of books. One of his most popular titles was a book that examined the differences between churches and denominations. This book, entitled Why So Many Churches, became a huge seller, read in seminaries and at kitchen tables. Right now, we are going to open the radio vault and begin to listen in on part of a conversation between Dr. Kenneth Hill and Noah Hutchings as they discuss what was then the brand new book, Why So Many Churches. Why do we have so many churches? Why do so many disagree on the scriptures? Why do some people interpret the scriptures one way, and why do some interpret the scriptures another way? This is why we have so many churches, because people do not understand the scriptures in unity, like our Lord Jesus Christ prayed and Paul prayed. You know, Paul prayed that all Christians come to the unity of faith. So did Jesus Christ pray that you all might be one. Why do we have to have so many churches? This is the subject I dealt with in this book. Brother Hill, I have received more compliments on this book, which is quite surprising, than any other book I've ever written. Why do you think it's surprising? I suppose that everyone wouldn't want to know why there were so many churches. I felt like I would step on too many toes. Sometimes stepping on toes is important, especially when you present the truth. And this book is an excellent volume for someone to have in their library, a pastor to have in his study. I would encourage folks to phone in and get your copy. Our phone number, by the way, is 1-800-652-1144, 1-800-652-1144. Brother Hutchings, an important thing for us to remember is that for some folks, they've not studied church history. And this little volume of 206 pages or so, it really takes the church history, condenses it down, and gives you an overview. Thank you, Brother Hill. I think we should continue now and get on with the study because we cover the subject matter in this book. It's going to take quite a few days. I hope you will stay with me. I think it will be profitable to really know why there are so many churches. I think in this book we have got to the root of the matter. In this study on the subject, Why So Many Churches, we will attempt to explain the basic reasons why those who are called by the name of Christ are split into hundreds of denominations and sects. Within these many, many church organizations, memberships argue over such things as should communion wine be taken from a single congregational cup or individual cups? I went to a church with my mother and dad where we all took communion out of the same cup, and it would have been blasphemy to use anything but one cup. Other things that are argued about is should there be instrumental music accompanying to the singing in the church. In the church in my hometown, I went back and my cousin was leading singing. There was no piano or organ, no musical instruments at all. That is what that church believes, that it's a sin to use instruments in the church. My cousin approached me and he was taking me to task because in my church, we not only have a piano and organ, we have a whole orchestra. So he was really letting me have it. He said, that's not in Scripture. My cousin used a tuning fork. So I said, well, Bill, you show me a Scripture for that tuning fork, and I'll show you a Scripture for our piano. Others argue about should the church assembly be scheduled for Saturday or Sunday, and many get vehement about this. Some think that if you worship on Sunday, you've taken the mark of the beast, and you're going to hell. 
Others argue that are the members saved by faith or work or both. Is the believer's eternal reward in heaven or on earth? Can a Christian fall from grace and be lost? What does church membership have to do with salvation? Is Jesus coming back to reign over the earth? Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a second work of grace? Do Christians have to speak in unknown tongues? Now, this roster of doctrinal differences contain just a few of the many, many areas of controversy which divide Christendom into denominations and sects of all kinds. I would also point out that these are just a few of the common differences. There are other major differences, such as the divinity of Jesus Christ, his blood atonement, his literal resurrection from the grave, the infallibility of the Word of God, our Bible, supreme authority of scriptures, and the inherent carnality of man. And investigating the reasons for church differences, I have concluded that they lie in the failure to understand the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace, and more specifically, the message preached by Peter and the message preached by Paul. It is my conviction that if all churches, all Christians, could agree on the first 15 chapters of Acts, there would be few church differences. Therefore, it is important for Christians to understand the difference between the ministry that Christ committed to Peter and the ministry that he committed to Paul, because herein exists the controversy that has resulted in the legion of church divisions not only in our day, but from the very beginning of the church age. Brother Noah, some may rightfully ask the question, is there an issue affecting our own personal faith in Christ and the state of salvation involved in the subject of the two Gospels? To this question, I answer as touching the believer's personal faith in Christ and the assurance of his salvation, no. As relating to the general testimony of the church in the world and the evangelizing of the heathen, yes. To give an example from the beginning of Noah's conversion as a sinner to a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he's understood many truths to be self-evident through the Scripture. And here are some of the basic beliefs that all Christians hold. God, through a special creative act, made the heavens, the earth, and all things therein. The Bible is the inspired and infallible word of the living God. Adam, through transgression, fell into sin, and thereafter all men born of Adam are sinners before God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God sent forth his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, to redeem sinners from a lost condition and from the condemnation of eternal death and hell. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, took our sins upon himself on the cross and paid the full penalty for our sins. He was judged for our sins in our place. That if a sinner believes this according to John 3.16, Romans 10.8-10, and turns to Christ by faith according to Ephesians 2.8 and 9, he is redeemed from his sins and the Holy Spirit creates in the new believer in Christ a new creation. To all who have been saved by faith in Christ, God has given the promise of eternal life in a glorified body likened to the body of Jesus Christ at the resurrection. Today, Christ our Lord and Savior is seated at the right hand of God just as he arose from the grave after his crucifixion, and he's coming back to this earth to rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords at the end of this age of grace. Brother Noah's belief has not changed in these and many other fundamental precepts of God's Word since the day that he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. 
However, his growth came with the greatest revelation concerning dispensational truths and sound doctrine as the scriptural evidence that Paul and Peter did not preach the same message. They preached the same Christ, but not the same gospel. Now, this conclusion was reached after many years of following Noah's conversion. And he doesn't claim any special credit for this understanding, for he was helped in arriving at that knowledge from various ministers. Now, Brother Noah, let me ask you a question. Who were some of these ministers? You read many books, didn't you, and many Bible commentaries. Yes, Ken, we certainly did, and we did a lot of study. We're admonished in the Scriptures to study to show ourselves approved, and we're to be convinced of the hope that is in our heart. And I certainly think that Dr. C.I. Schofield's work helped me as much as anyone else. We read on page 1209 of the New Schofield Reference Bible, quote, It is in the epistles of Paul that the order, position, privilege, and duties of the church are most fully given. They developed the doctrine of the church through Paul was given, the detailed revelation of the body of Christ in his heavenly calling, promise, and destiny. The doctrines of grace found in the teachings of Christ is also given further revelations through Paul. In reviewing the ministry of Peter in relation to what Dr. Scofield said about the ministry of Paul, we remember that the authority for Peter's ministry is revealed in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 19, where Jesus said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, if the keys of the kingdom, as committed to Peter, concern the church, then why would the Lord commit the revelation concerning the church to Paul? This would be a conflict. The evident truth is, that Peter's ministry primarily concerned Israel or the circumcision. It had meaning for the Gentiles only in the sense that the Gentiles are to be blessed through Israel during the kingdom age. The mission that the Lord committed to Peter is revealed in the second chapter of Acts where the great apostle preached his first message to Israel. Of this message, Dr. Gabeline said in his book, The Act of the Apostle, and I would like to quote what Dr. Gabeline said. Here we must not forget that Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost had to do with the kingdom. Another offer of the kingdom was made to the nation. In this national testimony, the word repent stands in the foreground, and their baptism in the name of him whom they had crucified was a witness that they owned him now and believed on him. The gospel in all its blessed fullness as revealed to the great apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, which he called my gospel and as preached by him, makes faith believe as prominent as Peter's preaching repent. I would also point out that the word repent is not found in the gospel of John. There are many scriptures, Brother Noah, which illustrate the sharp division between the gospel preached by Peter and the leaders of the church of Jerusalem and the gospel preached by the ministry of Paul. When Paul was preaching the gospel which the Lord had given him for the Gentiles, certain men from the Jerusalem church came down to Antioch and told the new converts, the babes in Christ, that contrary to what Paul had told them, they were not saved by faith alone. They had to be circumcised. For the sake of not having the new Christians confused and frustrated and his work destroyed, Paul went up to have an understanding with Peter and the elders of the Jerusalem church. 
He took Barnabas, whom the leaders of the Jerusalem church knew, for reference purposes. Had he not been accompanied by Barnabas, he doubtless would have not been received. Of this journey, Brother Ken, Paul later wrote, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and commuted unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. We read these words of Paul in the second chapter of Galatians, verses 1 and 2. It is evident from this scripture that the church at Jerusalem had no idea what Paul was preaching to the Gentiles until he went up and explained it to them. Paul did not go up to Jerusalem to get Peter's approval of his doctrine. Paul's commission did not come from Peter, nor was he ordained to the ministry by the Jerusalem church. He was commissioned directly by the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he met on the road to Damascus. Christ told Paul what he wanted him to preach to the Gentiles. Paul declares this in Galatians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 11. And this is the gospel. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. The fact, Brother Noah, that the gospel of grace and the revelation of the mystery of the church were initially committed to Paul is brought out by the apostle to the Gentiles in Ephesians 3, 1-3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Now, unless you contend that we stop too soon in quoting scripture concerning this unique revelation and commission of the gospel of the grace of Paul, they say we should go on and quote verses 5 and 6. Paul says this, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We should take careful note that here Paul is not saying that this revelation also came to the apostles of the church at Jerusalem before it was given to him, or even at the same time. He's simply recounting what happened when he went up to the church at Jerusalem by revelation and committed to them or revealed to them that gospel which Christ had commissioned him to preach among the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit reconciled the ministry of Paul with the ministry of Peter so that this strife might be eliminated and the gospel of grace go to the Gentiles unhindered. Now, some might ask, what about the conversion of the household of Cornelius when Peter preached to them the gospel? Was not this the gospel of grace which Peter preached to them? But if you will read in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter still preached Christ as the judge or ruler of the living and the dead. While this is certainly true, 
Peter was still preaching Christ from a kingdom age covenant position. The message that Peter preached to this Gentile family is the message that Israel will preach to the nations during the millennium. As far as the gospel of grace is concerned, the first time the church at Jerusalem, including Peter, heard it was when Paul went up by revelation and privately revealed it to them. Brother Noah, there are a number of questions, of course, that come to mind immediately when you start looking at the difference between what Peter preached and what Paul preached. And when we note that Paul, after these 14 years, went up to Jerusalem and went there to privately teach them, if you will, why did he have to do it privately? The church at Jerusalem was composed of Jews. It was Israelis. There were no Gentiles at the church of Jerusalem unless there happened to be a Gentile proselyte or two. We can go on and read that when Peter went down to Cornelius, Cornelius was just not any old Gentile. He was a friend of Israel. He had given Israel money. He had prayed for Israel. He had helped Israel. He was accepted by the Jews. Peter went down to the most likable Gentiles in Israel. If he had gone down to an old reprobate Gentile, he'd have had a problem with the church at Jerusalem. But even there, Peter took four witnesses with him to prove to them that he hadn't done anything wrong, that this man, Cornelius, was a friend of Israel, and he truly received the message that he preached. Peter's testimony to Cornelius was acceptable to the Jews. We remember that Paul took Titus with him, a Gentile. If he would have gone up to the church at that time and taken this Gentile as a brother in the church, you can imagine what kind of a furor that would have stirred up there at Jerusalem. It just was not acceptable. Even at that time, the church was not ready to accept it. He privately conferred with them about what he was preaching to the Gentiles, and his message would not have been acceptable to the Pharisees, and there were some Pharisee members of the church at Jerusalem. It simply was not acceptable at that time. They were still looking, as we'll discover later, for the coming of Jesus Christ to bring in the kingdom to Israel. There was still little reference in the message that they were preaching to the Gentiles at large. The gospel of the circumcision, we read, or to Israel, was committed to Peter. He was given the keys of the kingdom. The message was, Peter and the apostles and Jesus Christ, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a literal kingdom when Christ was going to reign on the throne. They were still looking for that kingdom. There was no place in that kingdom, at least a place of prominence for Gentiles. Today we are excited to offer the book, Why So Many Churches by Noah Hutchings, back in print for the first time in many years. If you've ever wondered why there are so many denominations, sects, and cults, and why church memberships cannot agree on even simple doctrines, then you'll want to read and study this book. And when you order Why So Many Churches, you'll receive a copy of Noah Hutchings' autobiography free. Get Why So Many Churches by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. And remember, when you order Why So Many Churches today, you'll receive Noah Hutchings' autobiography, as it is in the days of Noah, included for free. 
1-800-242-8444. Join us back here Monday as Anniversary Month continues. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for 89 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.